Well, uh, I just want to say, get out of the way at the very beginning. Um, if I'm losing my voice, it's not because I'm sick. I'm, I'm feeling very healthy. It's just because I was at the Vikings game on Thanksgiving, and uh, I was maybe a little rambunctious with my cheering. So I was losing my voice the other day, and I was like, ooh, I should have toned it down a little bit. But uh, it was a very fun game, so that was great. Well, uh, some of the overly ambitious among us might have been you know, decorating for Christmas and singing Christmas carols since November 1st. You crazies know who you are, if that's you. Um, but I think it's to say, safe to say that this Sunday, the Sunday following Thanksgiving, which is the first Sunday of Advent, this officially kicks off the Christmas season. And uh, Advent is simply a time of celebration and anticipation of Christ's birth. We prepare our hearts to fully comprehend and celebrate the miracle of Jesus' birth and what implications his coming has for our lives right now. Um, But Advent is also about filling our hearts with hope and anticipation of Christ's triumphal return, right? His second coming where he comes to make all things new. Um, And uh, as Israel once longed for their Messiah to come, we now as Christians long for our Savior to come again. And what I hope to accomplish this morning with you is to help us prepare our hearts for Christmas. And we'll be looking at, uh, as Steph mentioned in the Kids Ministry Moment, the story of the sisters of Mary and Martha. Uh, This is found in Luke chapter 10. And this isn't a usual passage that's associated with uh, the Advent season, uh, but I believe this story will help remind us of a key lesson. And that is, if God with us is the point of the season, then shouldn't we make it a point to spend time with him. And I think the miracle of Christmas is perhaps best summarized in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when Matthew writes, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? God with us. This is the reason for the season. Man-made traditions and uh, all of the activities that surround Christmas are certainly not the point of the season, but boy, when it comes to Christmas, do we have a lot of activities and traditions. And personally, Christmas is my favorite holiday, so I actually love a lot of these traditions. I I participate in them. Uh, For me, eggnog, spiral ham, cheesy potatoes, these are some of my very favorite foods. I look forward to the Christmas meal all year long. Um, I love other family traditions, like my my family had growing up, um, like attending the Christmas Eve candlelight service, you know, hearing the bells play Silent Night, that's always great, warms my heart. Um, We would play Monopoly late into the evening, you know, waiting for Santa Claus to come, not actually Santa Claus part, but we would play Monopoly very late. Um, And uh, I loved getting peanuts and oranges in my stocking, just the small things, the different traditions family have. But there was one Christmas tradition growing up that I personally couldn't stand, um, and that was Christmas card pictures. I couldn't stand Christmas card pictures. And growing up in a family of six, um, getting the right picture just seemed like it was really difficult for my family. Maybe other families can relate. Um, but to make matters worse, I think uh, why it was so difficult is I wasn't the only one who disliked it. I think me and all my siblings Hated it, right? Uh, you'd have to get dressed up in some warm, uncomfortable sweater. Uh, my mom would comb our hair so hard that it hurt our skull. 
Uh, you, <laughs> you felt like you were smiling for so long that your jaw, you would get locked into place, and you, you'd claim that your jaw is in pain from smiling so long, and you just felt like the pictures would take forever. And you'd think that the hardest years to get the right picture, oops, Uh, you'd think that the uh, hardest years to get the right picture would be when we're all, you know, young, like under the age of 10. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case uh, for my parents. Uh, the hardest years are actually when we were nightmare teenagers because we would just fight and bicker with one another. We would complain. We'd be on our phones and be sarcastic. And we didn't have patience for the process, right? We wanted one picture, and then we wanted it to be done. And I think as revenge, my parents would make the process as long as possible. Um, so we do a picture with the dog, then without the dog. We do one on the front porch, then we go into the back bench, and then we go inside by the fireplace, then we go back outside, right? We'd have one with mom and dad, and then we'd try one without mom and dad. Dad's in the wrong shirts, so now he's going to change. And, and just on and on uh, it would go, and the process would take super long. Well, uh, to make a long story short, there's one year... Uh, and it was a particularly warm day in Raleigh, North Carolina for the fall. And I think we were particularly fiendish mood as kids. Um, we were just being extra difficult. And because we were in a new house, I think my parents were trying to explore a lot of different places for the picture. So we took a, pictures in a bunch of different locations. And in reality, it probably only took like an hour or less, but it felt like it took all day long, Right. And finally, by the evening, my parents uploaded the picture to the computer to review them and select what was the best picture um, for the day. You know, what, what is the best shot? And unfortunately, it was discovered that my youngest sister, my sister Corinna, she actually had been playing with the camera earlier in the day, and she put her thumbprint on the lens of the camera, Right. So even though we spent an hour or more taking pictures, all of them, when they were uploaded, were ruined because there was a large smudge <laughs> right in the middle of the camera. So needless to say, me and my brothers were not happy with my sister because that meant late into the evening, after a day of fighting, we had to get redressed up and retake the Christmas picture now inside. And um, I actually, I'm not proud to show this, but I actually have the resulting picture <laughs> from this nightmare day, and I'm going to show it to you now. Um, keep in mind, I was a jerk teenager. This is the picture. Oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> as you can see there in the middle, my mom and my sister are doing their best to carry the team. They're smiling. They're looking good. Uh, but me and my brothers, we're all looking miserable. I got my brother, Derek, on the right. Um, he looks scared or indifferent. Um, my brother Ben is the one down in the green. I don't know what he's doing, some kind of drooling disgust. And there's me um, being a complete teenage jerk, kind of the ringleader of the whole operation. So, so here's the deal. Why do I tell that story? Well, I think it's an example of what can happen to our attitudes over the holidays if we lose track of the why behind Christmas. For me that day, I think it's safe to say by my behavior that my focus was definitely not on celebrating the birth of our Savior. I guarantee that if I had woken up that morning and spent time in God's Word, if I had spent time in prayer, then I wouldn't have had such a terrible attitude throughout the rest of the day that affected my whole family. 
I look back on that day now and I think what a missed opportunity it was to be thankful and enjoy precious time that I had with my siblings and with my parents, that we were all together as a family. And I think for all of us, we can relate to the activities and the traditions that dominate Christmas and kind of dominate every aspect of our lives leading up to Christmas Day, uh, they can lead to a lot of busyness, right? We have the Christmas parties. We have the school programs. We put up the decorations and the lights. Um, we have to shop to buy just the right presents. And we have to prepare the perfect meal. Um, we have the travel, or sometimes even worse, the preparing the house to get ready for family to come in who are visiting. And we have the unique family traditions. And there's just so much going on. And while none of these things are bad on their own, it can be super easy to become busy and distracted and forget the reason why we're celebrating Christmas. And I'd caution us to be careful here because the attention that we give the events around Christmas can detract from giving attention to the one of whom we are celebrating, right? Uh, We should be giving our attention to the one whose birth we are celebrating. Is it possible that we're doing so much in service of celebration of Jesus' arrival that we forget to do the most important thing, which is to spend time with Jesus. Unfortunately, I think it is. So if you'd like to follow along, you can open up your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 10, and we're going to start out at verse 38, kind of near the end of the chapter. And um, to kind of preface it before we start reading, I'm certain that Jesus knew that when he entered a place, um, there was always going to be a great deal of activity and excitement surrounding his arrival and his presence. And where he went, crowds gathered, um, there was festive meals, there was a lot of excitement. Um, All throughout the gospel accounts, we read of Jesus showing up to a new new town and someone insisting that he and his disciples come over to have dinner. So sometimes uh, he'd have dinner with who you'd expect the Son of God to be having dinner with, like a religious leader, but sometimes uh, Jesus would spend time with who you'd least expect the Son of God to be having dinner with, right? Like a prostitute or a tax collector or sinners, right? And it seems like everywhere he went, he was hosting, uh, someone was hosting a dinner in his honor. So Luke 10 records the account of one of these meals at the home of the sisters of Martha and Mary. And this is, of course, a different Mary than the mother of Jesus. Uh, We know from the Gospel of John that they lived in a town called Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, and they lived with their brother Lazarus. So if you remember the the Gospel of John account, that's uh, Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. And although Lazarus is not mentioned in Luke's Luke's account, uh, we maybe can assume Lazarus was there as well. And as always, when Jesus arrived, there was a lot to be done. If you think about it, he came with a built-in crowd of at least 12 people, right? But there's many other that gathered to hear him teach. And Mary and Martha would have had plenty to do to prepare their home to have him. So let's read, starting at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So my first encouragement for us this morning 
uh, is from the example of Mary. And I want to encourage us to have a Merry Christmas. You see, see what I did there, right? Um, <laughs> and of course, these truths extend well beyond the Christmas season, but I think her example is especially relevant to us during a time that can be a hectic and busy season in our lives. So uh, if you look at Mary, instead of giving in to the pressure to host, to entertain, and to accomplish, Mary simply sat at Jesus' feet. Verse 39 says, uh, she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Mary spent time with Jesus and listened to him talk about why, in fact, he had come. If we had time this morning, we'd look into the implications of a first century rabbi allowing a woman to sit at his feet, Um, and we don't have time to get into it. Obviously, it was very cross-cultural at the time. Just know that it was a very big deal that Jesus allowed her to sit at his feet and listen. And throughout the Gospel of Luke, the idea of listening is tied into the idea of discipleship. Many heard what Jesus said, right? They heard it with their ears, but few actually listened and put it into practice. Luke went out of his way to convey to his readers what Mary was doing at Jesus' feet. She was listening. She was learning to follow him more closely by listening intently to the word of God through the lips of Jesus. This passage is sandwiched right in between the parable of the Good Samaritan earlier in Luke chapter 10 and Jesus' teaching of the Lord's Prayer uh, in Luke 11. So perhaps Mary was listening to Jesus teach her about what is truly meant to love your neighbor as yourself. Or maybe she was listening to him explain everyone's need to commune with the Lord uh, through prayer. Whatever it was she was hearing, she was actively listening in order to follow Jesus more fully. Meanwhile, Martha was not sitting at Jesus' feet listening. Instead, she was trying to be the perfect hostess. She was focused on getting everything done that needed to be done. After all, there was a lot of mouths to feed, things to clean, sleeping arrangements that needed to be made. I can't even imagine the amount of work it would take uh, to host Jesus. Sorry, I move move around too much when I'm speaking, so this keeps (laughs) falling off. Hopefully we'll do there. Did I lose this screen here in the back? Oh, there we are. Awesome. So uh, here's the thing with Martha. Romans 12, 13 tells us to share with God's people who are in need to practice hospitality. And I think Martha had the gift of hospitality big time, which is awesome, right? And to her credit, Martha was hard at work using her gifts um, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, as it tells us in 1 Peter 4, 10. So then what's the problem, right? Isn't Martha just using her gifting? Why would we pick on her and say to not have a Martha Christmas? Well, let's reread verse 40, um, and it will give us some hints. It says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I love the little emphasis that Luke makes that Martha was distracted. Right? The sense of distracted here is to be pulled away or dragged away. The implication is that Martha desperately wanted to hear Jesus herself, just like her sister, to be at his feet, but she was pulled away by her duties. Right? She told herself that the burden of her responsibilities did not afford her for the time to be spending with Jesus. Martha was so frustrated that her sister left her to do the work that she actually interrupted Jesus' teaching to ask him to intervene. Martha had clearly missed the point. 
She got so distracted by all the busyness surrounding Jesus' arrival that she actually thought the activity was more important than spending time with the one all the activity was about. Right? She wasn't willfully ignoring Jesus or trying to be rude. She wasn't disobeying any commandments or even any rabbinic laws. She was simply distracted and forgot what it was that she should be focusing about, which is Jesus. I feel like we are so guilty of this as well. We get fixated on getting the house just right for Christmas, getting the perfect picture for the card, making sure the perfect gifts are bought, all the programs and services are attended. We think that the, the activity surrounding Jesus' arrival is more important than spending time with the one we are celebrating. And we don't know Martha's exact reason for interrupting Jesus and calling out her sister, but I do know my own shortcomings uh, I know my own faulty thought patterns at times, and I also know a little bit about human nature as well. And um, I think uh, it's perhaps that Martha was wearing her busyness like a badge of honor, right? She was thinking, I am just so busy right now. Uh, doesn't anyone notice how busy I am and how hard I'm working? Or perhaps Martha was simply looking for applause and approval of others, right? She wanted to feel appreciated and valued. She wasn't feeling appreciated, so she made it a public point to highlight all the work she's doing all by herself. Or perhaps she was making comparisons in her mind, right? She was thinking, look how much more work than I am doing than this other person. And she was hoping that others would maybe make that same comparison between her and her sister and view her in a more positive light. Unfortunately, can't we all relate to some of these mindsets? It's so natural to think that Jesus needs our work and that he can't do without us. But in reality, the truth is God doesn't need me or you to do his work. It's only by his grace that we can serve him, and he can do quite well without us. Uh, a commentator, Kent Hughes, put it this way pretty bluntly, to be sure we ought to take our work seriously, but not ourselves we ruin our service when we overestimate our importance. Our responsibility, our means of service, it's deemed to be everything by us. So, for example, say if I served in youth ministry, this is just a theoretical, um, and I see it as such a fruitful field, right? I think it's, it's an area I'm so passionate about. Um, it's an area where I think more workers are needed, right? Um, well, if I go down a faulty kind of thought pattern, then I can think that anyone who's not involved in this ministry that I think is so awesome and so fruitful and needs workers, if they're not involved, then, well, they're wrong, right? We assume that everyone should be committed to the same Christian service we are committed to. We think things like, if others were good Christians, then they would certainly live like I do. Or if they were mature spiritually, they would be doing the same thing we're doing or give to the same causes I give to. This attitude, if unchecked, can destroy the inner soul of service. This attitude uh, will be especially prevalent if we allow our service to drag us away from God's word and from prayer. Without the benefit of God's word speaking into our service, we may adopt a mindset of pride, judgmentalism, or fault-finding. Uh, Charles Spurgeon summarizes this well, uh, this attitude that we can get into sometimes when he wrote, The pastor wonders what would become of the church without him. Would they make it? The lay leader thinks that if he were removed, the whole place would crumble. 
The missionary imagines that no one would be converted any longer if he were to retire. How self-deceived we tend to be. A fly on the wall of the church might as well imagine that everything going on below him is dependent upon his presence and would cease if he flew away. This is faulty thinking, and it's a dangerous attitude. Instead, the Apostle Paul summarizes how our attitudes ought to be in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace God, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In our passage, Martha attempted to force Mary to serve Christ her way, right? She wanted Mary away from Jesus' feet and in the kitchen with her because in her estimation, what she was doing was most important. And I think Jesus' loving reminder to Martha is probably the same thing he would remind each of us. Verses 41 through 42, it says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, right? We can sense Jesus' deep love for Martha affectionately repeating her name there. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is a powerful statement. The one thing that is needed, the thing that is better, is listening to the word of God. It is what Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. We know how to hear God's word, right? We can do it by reading the Bible, but how do we sit at Jesus' feet? Well, I think there's a few ways, but to sit at the feet of Jesus implies readiness to accept and obey what Jesus teaches. To sit at Jesus' feet implies submission to him, right? That our rebellion is done with, that we put away our own desires and instead submit to him. To sit at Jesus' feet implies faith that we believe who Jesus is and have a deep love for him. And to sit at Jesus' feet implies living a life of discipleship. When we prioritize our relationship with Jesus, we are prioritizing what is better. Jesus didn't say that the things Martha was spending her time on weren't important or worthwhile. Jesus did not rebuke Martha for wanting things to be a particular way. He just reminded her that there is something better than having everything perfect. Jesus is better. Time, is, time with him is better than the perfect Christmas feast or having the best Christmas lights in the neighborhood or get, getting or giving the perfect gift. You see, Martha didn't do anything awful or commit some great sin. John tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. Uh, they shared a special relationship with him. He loved Martha, the doer, um, and he also loved Mary, the relational one. They both shared a special place in his heart. Martha was indeed literally serving the Lord here in this passage. So uh, this is what can make this such a tough lesson to learn, because internally we, we may want Martha to be congratulated for her work. But the lesson here is that time with Jesus is better than service 
for Jesus. Martha was doing all that she was doing for Jesus, yet Jesus still told her, Mary has chosen what is better. Martha's choice had not been bad. The things she was working on were all good. It just simply wasn't the best choice at the moment. And that's because Jesus was there. Now you might be thinking, well, uh, unlike Mary and Martha, Jesus isn't in my house, right? He's not visiting me this weekend. And well, that's actually the miracle of Christmas, right? That we have the opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus. We have the opportunity to spend time with the one whose arrival we are celebrating. Seven centuries before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel of John beautifully uh, describes the incarnation and summarizes it when he writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this wasn't just a one-time visit. Our Emmanuel is with us now and will be with us forever. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, before he returned to the Father, he made this promise in the Great Commission. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Bible tells us in Romans, nothing can ever separate us from God and his love for us in Christ. So since God with us is a point of the season, then as Christians, it should be our number one priority to make time with him. Not prioritizing Elf on the Shelf or Santa Claus or shopping or cooking or holiday movies. Um, Not even ensuring that sometimes our good priorities, things like service, hospitality, and giving, um, making sure those things don't come first. Instead, uh, we want to be using our gifts, but not at the expense of spending time with Jesus. Instead, we should prioritize the one thing first, to sit at Jesus' feet, and to hear his word. Life is short, and especially in hectic seasons like the holidays, we can feel like we're very short on time and there's so much to do. And because of this, we need to choose deliberately. Life is not going to automatically arrange itself into proper priorities for us. So amidst a thousand distractions or duties or obligations, we must make sitting at Jesus' feet the one thing, the better thing, the primary focus of our hearts and lives. So this season, let's take some time to set aside and read the accounts of his advent and ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to see it with fresh eyes. Let's spend some time in prayer and thanksgiving for what God has done to us. And let's find ways that we can sit at his feet and spend time with him. So I encourage you this Christmas season to have a Merry Christmas, not a Martha Christmas. All right, let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you for the truths of your scripture. And even this lesson that can be so uh, difficult sometimes to learn, um, as some of us are uh, just type A and there's so much to get done, and um, we wear the burden of our responsibilities and know there's so many relying on us. But Lord, um, especially during those seasons in our life, especially during those hectic times, um, we need to be uh, prioritizing our time with you. So, I pray for each of us over these coming weeks um, that amidst the chaos and the busyness, that we make that a priority, that we spend time in your word, that we spend time in prayer, that we spend time in worship, um, and that we would find ways to honor and glorify you with our lives. So 
Um, we just thank you for the gift of your son, the miracle of the Christmas season, that we have that opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus, that God is indeed with us. Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.